Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me, as usual, my co-host from Brisbane, Australia, Lindsay Adams. Hello and welcome. special gift to all our listeners. Pop along to www.excellencepodcast.com That's excellencepodcast.com and download your free 48-page ebook called Building Excellence Ideas to Help You on Your Journey to Creating Excellence in Your Business and Your Life. And welcome to our listeners today. Our guest is Stacey Sherman coming to us from New Jersey in the United States. Welcome, Stacey. Hello, great to be here. Now, Stacey, you're a customer experience expert. Uh, you've co-authored two books, one called Customer Experience 2 and the other, some Portuguese title that I didn't understand, but that's pretty exciting. Uh, <laughs> and you're the founder of Doing CX Right. Now, when we were talking just before we started recording, you talked about the concept of humanizing business. Talk to me about that. Yes. Um, so I'd like to also say I work for a large corporation because I do speak today from big company as well as uh, side side hustles, side passion projects of, of as well by night. And humanizing business in both sides is really about looking at customers and employees as well, because they fuel customer happiness and really understanding the way it's about people. It's not about a building. It's not about a brand, a logo. It's about people. So how do people want your brand stay loyal to your brand, refer your brand? And that's what it's all about is the human aspects, not just process and not just about price tags. So Stacey, one of the things uh, you talk about and, and I, uh, is the fact that you have to onboard both your employees, which is pretty standard. So, so any corporate, you know, has a, has somebody in human resources or culture and learning or some other title that they have, and their role is onboarding employees. But you talk about on- onboarding customers to achieve positive first impression, to, in, in other words, improve the CX. You know, tell me a little bit about that. Yes, uh, I, I will go into that, but I do want to say one thing to your comment, and that is onboarding employees is pretty standard. It's not. It's done very differently in different companies, in different departments, and there actually isn't consistency and there isn't a great experience for onboarding employees their first day, their first 30 days, 60, 90. So there has to be an intention around that equally to your question about customers. So what is it like when a customer signs the contract or buys a product or service? What's that experience going to be from that point on? 
And again, it has to be intentionally designed, depending if it's a service or a product and how it's delivered and set up and used. So it must be uh, based on a customer journey standpoint and very intentional what's delivered and setting those expectations for the customer. Okay. And so how much of that, that customer journey, that expectation is, is part of the brand. In other words, so, so let, let's pick on, on Apple products just as an example, right? Cause um, you know, when you buy an Apple product, you almost know you're paying a lot of money and you you buying into the mass product. I mean, I know that's just a weird concept because I happened to buy a new phone for my wife the other day. And and you kind of just accept that over the years it's got better and better. You know, but how do you do that if you're not Apple? You know, how do you create that journey if you're not Apple? So I'm glad you used that example because I had um, an example in my mind, which is Yes, you buy Apple and you have an expectation of the product and history has shown it to be reliable and trustworthy. But here's the game changer that any company could do in that onboarding experience. Apple will set up time when you buy your product, set up time for some free training for 30 minutes. You set up the schedule, you tell them when to call you, And they will go over your new watch, your new phone, whatever it is. That same principle can apply to anything. Is is that wow moment. It's that going up and beyond in in when somebody buys anything from a brand. It could be the follow-up call. How are you doing? Do you need help? It can be documentation to help someone who could be stuck and need some direction. There's all different ways to do it. But in those first 90 days, especially the first week, you have to be very intentional in what you do to help the customer make it delightful and and enjoyable to using the product or the service. So does that apply? I mean, that's... That's for a high-end or a high-ticket item. But, you know, consumers buy a lot of stuff, which, you know, an Apple computer is going to cost you two, $2,000 and more. An Apple Watch is going to cost you five, six, dollars $700 and more. They're big-ticket items. You know, you can't be contacting everyone for every little thing, though, can you? Like, how do you, how do you make that experience go for... Uh, an everyday purchase, or maybe even just a shop at the supermarket. How do you how do you create a customer experience there? So you're right. I mean, you can't do it for every single product, service, and every single touch point with customers. But you can scale. You can send an email that acknowledges the purchase. And if you need help, we're here for you. Here's the 800 number. Here's an online chat. And and even a service. You have a doctor's office after the patient's been there. I really appreciate when my doctor calls me a week later or a few days later and says, how are you feeling? Are you okay? I mean, that's, that's what keeps people coming back. 
That's funny because box with doctors you don't really want to go back, but I mean that that's just a you know just my sense of humor at this time of the morning. Okay, but so how do you then measure? Yeah, I, I mentioned to you before we went on 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 to record that I'm never a fan of NPS because I think the hang numbers on, don't on, tell on. you the whole NPS? story. Speak English, right? What's NPS? Oh, sorry, Net Promoter Score. Okay, and so 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 for those listening that don't know how Net Promoter Score works. But effectively, unless it's a zero or a one or a nine or a 10, it's, it's effectively ignored. So you're either a nine or 10, which is a promoter, or a, a zero or one, which is a detractor. And, and pretty much anyone in the middle, and, and I had an interesting experience the other day. So we had one of our two-week lockdown periods here in Perth, which is pretty unique for, for the world where we've had no COVID. And... I didn't go to the gym because we had a two-week mandatory mask-wearing period and I could not bring myself to training in the gym in a mask. Um, the gym was actually open and that you were people wearing masks. It just kind of made no sense anyway. But the, the gym in that two-week period sent me a, a, a thing, oh, we haven't seen you log into the gym for the last two weeks. Is everything okay? And how do you rate the gym? And And I've had a few issues at the gym, things I've asked for, that haven't been done, like suggestions, whatever, and I've had no feedback and I've left my name, whatever. And so I gave them a six out of 10. About a, an hour later, I got an email from the manager, personalized. I noticed you gave us a six out of 10 and, you know, you haven't been in since whatever date. It may not be personalized, maybe system driven, but doesn't matter. Can you tell us why you rated us a six out of 10? And that was probably what my problem is with NPS, is that you can't use just a number, a metric. You actually need to do something more important in measuring customer happiness. How do you do that? So a couple of things. One, I do believe that NPS for sure is not the end all. It is a great starting place for companies that aren't measuring anything and they want to begin. Number two, it's important that people do add on other measurements. My favorite is level of effort. What's How easy or difficult is it to get help when you need it? How easy or difficult is it to return your product? And, and so much more. So level of effort is my favorite. And there's others that get to the drivers of NPS of why someone would or would not recommend. Now, with that said, it is very important for companies who use NPS, and many, many, many do, that they use the score. They don't throw away the promoters and the detractors, in essence. So the promoters, you absolutely have to thank customers. and. Thank the employees who delivered customer excellence. That is such an important part of driving the CX culture. And likewise, the detractors, those are coachable, teachable moments and helping everybody in different organizations understand how they impact the customer experience. I know, for example, there's teams that are the back office, not frontline. They say, oh, well, I don't really... I have nothing to do with the customer experience. I said, oh, yes, you do. Because let's think about the customer journey. Bill and pay. Well, finance team, you have a big part of the journey. So if bill and pay is difficult, they may leave 
they may tell others, and that has an amplification effect on social media. So my point and final words on this is that, yes, NPS by itself, uh, there's opportunity to measure much more and get really dig deep into the customer mindsets and perceptions. Um, But NPS can be very valuable if you use it right for celebrating successes and coaching employees. So what you're talking about here is the voice of the customer, and you also talk about the voice of the employee. Um, Why is that so important? I mean, I get the customer bit. We're we're serving them. They're the ones we're creating the experience for. But why the employee? So there's a couple of reasons. The one that stands out the most is empowering employees to deliver customer excellence and creating that culture. So when you design a customer journey, you bring everybody in different departments together. You break those silos because you're one company to the customer. So you bring everybody together and you design, how is the customer going to learn and become aware? Well, that's marketing. How are they going to buy? Is it e-commerce? Is it a sales force? So you define that experience. All these micro moments, by bringing the internal teams together, they have a stake and understand how they impact the customer experience. But here's the the most important point is that you have to get the voice of the customer. You have to validate the journey that you created from the inside and get the customer um, customer feedback and in an agile way, redesign or fix what doesn't address their expectations. And when it comes to voice of customer, the employee voice does matter, but it can't replace the customer. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm going to keep going on the on the employees because I think I think what I've kind of concluded or 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 come to from our you know our short conversation so far is your passion for for bringing the whole team on board and and there's that that Jack Kennedy famous story from the 1960s when he visited NASA and um asked an employee who was busy sweeping the floor what he saw his role as. And he saw his role as getting a man, and that's not a sexist comment because that was the 60s, getting a man on the moon, okay? And so, so the, that that story has always struck me as, as how employees can be on board for every aspect of the business. But one of the things you you also talk about uh, is is DNI. Now, d- diversity and inclusion has become a massive topic around the world uh, the last few years. Black Lives Matter has sort of brought a lot of the diversity issues to the fore, but gender issues have been there for a long time and just haven't, haven't, haven't really been top of agenda for a lot of people. How do you humanize business and bring, you know, diversity and inclusion in to make employees happy and therefore your customers happy? Yes. So when the employees feel valued, included, they pay it forward. And the customers are also diverse. So the awareness, the education, the uncomfortable conversations have to happen. And some of the ways you do that is you take time to really learn 
admit what you don't know <laughs> and learn about different cultures and different nationalities and different ways of thinking. And no more is it happy holidays to cover everybody's, you know, pr- preference. It's let's take time and learn what does each person celebrate? What are the foods? What are what does everything mean? And it's and be okay without judgment that you don't know. And the more that that happens, the more that people feel connected. And that's where you're humanizing business because then we feel connected, then we work better as teams and we work better to deliver customer excellence even when the boss isn't looking. You think we're dumbing it down? I mean, your comment about happy holidays drives me nuts. Uh, that's a very American saying, of course. In in Australia, we don't tend to do say that, although it is creeping into our culture. And I think we're actually dumbing it down. Do, do you agree? I, I don't look at it that way. I look at it as it's a movement to want to learn and care more about learning about each other's differences. And I think before, it's funny about dummy down, I think that people were afraid to sound like a dummy because they didn't know, well, what is Passover, Jewish Passover? What, what is, um, you know, there, there's so many holidays. I, I, I myself don't know all of them, but we do need to get trained, educated, and not feel like it's we're a dummy, but be able to say, I don't know, and, and have someone be able to say, well, let me show you and tell you what it's about. And, and also the other thing is we have to see better, visually see better. I, I'm amazed. I have a blog, and I often look through images in Adobe or other platforms and I'm looking for an image for my article. I cannot believe how many articles or uh, images are all just white people. I have to go through so many to find diversity that shouldn't be. It, but I also didn't notice it until I woke up and I got educated and I recognized what I didn't know and changed that. So, so Stacey, I'm going to, I mean, I agree, 100% agree with you. You know, Lindsay and I first met at a conference in South Africa where we both spoke, and it was, it was a conference on reconciliation and, and diversity. And that's actually, so these are two white guys, one ex-South African, one uh, dinky die Australian, meeting in Cape Town drinking wine, um, at a conference on diversity and inclusion and become great friends ever since. So, so, so it is amazing how, how that reaches out. And, and there were some, you know, amazing people that we met at that conference and, and my eyes were, were, were truly open to a lot of the things that we just didn't notice beforehand. I was looking through your, your media kit and, and there was one line in there that struck me and I wanted to see how that's driven your life. And that is growing up as the child of a Wall Street mom. Now, now that's a, a comment I noticed there. And I thought, you know, how often do we, do we blame our parents for everything and often forget to thank them for everything we've done in our lives? 
how, what, what was that comment about and how did that shape who Stacey Sherman is today? I love that question. So my mom was among the first women on the American Stock Exchange and as an options trader. And at that time, when I was growing up, there really were very few women. If I could count on one hand. And I didn't recognize then how much of a change agent she was and what she endured being a minority in the room and, and a petite woman, right? Not tall, not, you know, of the stature of many of the men there and, and her success. And it had so much more than to do with money. And I learned a lot of lessons from her as, um, as just how much she had to conquer um, at that stage of life. I didn't recognize it then, but how much I see and in, in the lessons I've learned now from, from her. Stacey, that is excellent. Uh, your mother was a change agent. You are a change agent in the world of customer experience. And unfortunately, that has to, we've, we've come to the end of our time together. So I want to thank you for, uh, for sharing your thoughts with us today. And I'm going to pass back to Rail now to close us off. So, Stacey, if uh, our listeners would like to get hold of you and find out more about humanizing business and humanizing the customer experience, how would they get hold of you? I welcome people coming to my website, doingcxright.com, and I'm on all the social media channels, and I have a lot of resources on my website, a blog podcast I'm launching now and lots of resources to help people really advance their skills. I want more people doing CX right, not just talking about it because then the world will be a better place naturally. So thank you. Thank you very much. And that's a great uh, segue to finishing off for the day. This is a rail bricker thanking Stacey Sherman and my co-host Lindsay Adams for another episode of the Business Excellence Podcast with a reminder to pop along to excellencepodcast.com that's www.excellencepodcast.com where there are heaps of free resources to help you on your journey to excellence in both business and in life.